Hello and welcome back to the Heart of the Hill podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Tillman. I'm excited to say that this is our second installment of our dialogue series, where we'll be diving further into the topic of cancel culture. Well, Jacob, I'm excited to have you on today. Um, you know, talking about cancel culture, have you been canceled yet? I have not been canceled by, uh, back by popular demand. Um, still out here living a cancel-free life, but that is not to say it could not happen in the future. I, but I do hope it doesn't. I hope it doesn't. For both of our sake. Well, tell, yeah. uh, tell the audience a little bit a little bit about yourself, how we know each <clears> other. Um, just give a little bio. Totally. Uh, Jacob Goodson. Uh, ATL knows me as Jake. DC knows me as Jacob. Um, that was maybe the threshold into my Christian bar mitzvah. Um, I am from originally from Houston, Texas, lived in South Georgia for quite a long time, went to school in Atlanta, Kennesaw State, and then came up to D.C. postgraduate to do a fellowship with the National Prayer Breakfast, where that's where you and I became first acquaintances, did a year long and then became friends. Um, and now we find ourselves better friends than we were when we first met. Um, and now I work for a company called Whiting Turner, project engineer on the path to be a project manager, live with some fun guys in Virginia, spend a lot of my time in DC. Um, but yeah, living life, having a really fun time. I am, uh, you know, there's this idea that the Lord wants more for you than you want for yourself. And I, I can definitely say that that's true because I can never imagine my life being where it's at. So, but happy to be here on a, it was just a dream about four months ago for our boy Tillman and now it's a reality. And so it's a, it's a huge honor to, to give my two cents, even though it's only worth about one. <laughs> Not true at all. Not true at all. But yeah, I'm happy to have you. Um, and definitely you've been an encouraging part of this process. So can't thank you enough for that. Um, well, let's, let's think of something here. Do you have in mind maybe the most ridiculous or uh, shocking form or example of someone being canceled that you can think of right now? Oh man, there's so many people that are losing face. You know, I, I, I think I'm, I'm looking at someone like Jimmy Fallon, for example, or if you look at who's the other gentleman that runs the late night show, Jimmy Kimmel, uh, Jimmy Kimmel. Um, you, and then you're seeing people that are getting tweets pulled up. Like there, there's been a few major league baseball pitchers, you know, and there was a quarterback that was drafted by the Buffalo bills um, two years ago. And they pulled up tweets when he was 13 and by no means am I, sitting here filling in as an advocate for this gentleman. But, you know, that was seven years ago when he was a pre-adolescent. I mean, he's a 13-year-old. And so if we're going to hold someone accountable for their character at 13, I think it's very dangerous. And so I say, you know, those are extremely ridiculous. You know, you look at Jimmy Kimmel, they're pulling up pictures from two decades ago. It's like, well, if you don't give them, and, and then you, I think Jimmy Kimmel got in trouble or Jimmy Fallon got in trouble for, um, doing blackface and imitating Chris Rock while Chris Rock was on the show and Chris Rock was advocating for it. And so it's, it's like this weird dichotomy of like, well, why is he being canceled if, if the man that he's imitating is saying it's okay. And I think that would not happen today because of how the nation has progressed. And I'm not saying that's bad. I'm saying that's good. But if we're going to 
you know, take a pause on time and go backwards and check everyone's past, then all of us will be canceled. It seems to me that in a lot of these cases, like the ones you just mentioned, there's more offense that is being taken than offense that is intended. And that's a concept that you and I have, have talked a lot about. But what do you, totally. can you, can you kind of see that scenario playing out right now? You can. And I, I say the, the best way that you can see it, that's where, the, where we're seeing the most light on that, is there is no room for dialogue. And so we live in a nation that's built on a justice system that says you are innocent until proven guilty. But when you are inside of the, when you're on trial to be canceled, you are guilty until proven less guilty, because that actually will ride with you for the rest of your career. Um, you know, you look at a guy like Jimmy Fallon and Jimmy Kimmel, people will always remember this incident. And so what, you know, there's more offense taken and less offense intended. Well, they're not even opening up a dialogue for conversations for them to even discuss on what was going on. And so it's actually just offense taken and then no chance to speak. And so that leads, it's a clear progression to where people are just automatically apologizing for something that no one even knows the full story to. Right. And then I think in, in some cases, not all, but in some cases, those apologies are given almost as a, I don't have another choice. Totally. It's, it's this, this intense uh, necessity to be on the right side of things. And sometimes right. the right side of things are just where the loudest voices lie. But then sometimes, right. so I don't, I wonder what you think, what, what do the, the people who are enacting this sort of mentality or this sort of culture, I wonder what they want, because if they wanted an apology, then they would leave room for it. But then they don't leave really a room for a real apology. If, if Jimmy Kimmel got on there, and I think it is Jimmy Kimmel, the one that you're referring to that did uh, blackface on, on his show back in, you know, the early, early 2000s, possibly even late 90s. If they wanted an apology, they, they could give room for it. But then when someone issues an apology, it's, it's almost just out of, you know, out of fear. It's not, a, it's not real, you know, it's, sure. not, it's not authentic at all. Yeah, it seems to be, and I could be totally wrong, wrong at this. And I also want to preface this conversation with, you know, I'm 25, I have limited experience and these thoughts could change over time. But at, at this point in my life, I, I, I see them to be true. Um, but it seems to me that, yeah, we're living in a society that gives no room for forgiveness. And if there's no room for forgiveness, then we will live in a stagnant society and it will actually become a paradox to where we're seeking perfection, but will actually destroy each other. It'll, it'll be what C.S. Lewis called the abolishment of man. Tell us, a bit. Tell us a little bit more about that. I like that conclusion. Well, that's an extremely dangerous place to be. And so, I look at some, you know, you, we look at this ambiguous group that's being thrown around, for example, Antifa. So Antifa is just short for anti-fascist. So anti-fascist, if you, and I'm not, you know, a scholar on Antifa, but I, I do know what a fascist is. And, and so they are, they are promoting free speech. They are promoting equality. They are promoting this idea of a level playing field. But if you even question what they're promoting, they stifle that. And so what they're actually going to do is they're going to work in a cyclical motion and they will cancel themselves. So an anti-fascist will become a fascist and not even know it. 
what's going to happen is, you know, C.S. Lewis talks about how we measure ourselves. And if we, if we measure every single aspect of ourselves, we will eventually become nothing. And he calls that a, a, the abolishment of man. And so that's what we're doing right now is we're, we're, we're using a, a metric to measure our character. And we are humans and we have these deficiencies and every single person has them. And so if we really want to, you know, I, I, what I think is going on is that we're really kind of grabbing for power and people have feel like their voice hasn't been heard. And so, you know, I see a, a you know, a ritual on late night television, do something that really hurts my feelings. And I don't disagree why it would hurt your feelings. We kind of grab for power to cancel that gentleman. And I just don't think that's the right way. I don't think it's the correct way to go about this idea of equality. And so I think it actually turns into a much dangerous single thought society that will, that will never progress. And I actually quoted you uh, in, in my last podcast. I said, I said, a friend of mine says all the time, if you can't change your mind, you can't change anything. So if, and you're exactly right, if we can't allow other people to change their minds or change their perspectives, then we are a stagnant society. There's no, there's no room to evolve. There's no room to progress. There's no totally. room for people to, to figure out what exactly that it is they believe. And we, when we pigeonhole people, I think that's exactly what you're talking about. It's, it's, it's using, using a pigeonhole or something in somebody's past to measure them by and define them by. And they're stuck in that forever. Totally. When we place that, when we thrust that on other people, it's, it's toxic. Totally. And I think we have to make the distinction of holding someone accountable and judging someone's character. Holding someone accountable for something they've done, done wrong is absolutely valid. But when we start to judge someone's character, we take the place of the divine. And when you take the place of the divine, I think society crumbles. So I was reading prior to the podcast and this, this guy had this quote or this lady, I'm not sure where it was, but it said that there's, it's becoming synonymous between talent and character that we're not actually dividing the two. And so a talented person is canceled based on their character. We throw away the talent as well. And so, you know, I've read a little bit about Pablo Picasso and Pablo Picasso was a well-known misogynist. He did not treat women well. But Pablo Picasso is also one of the most revolutionary artists of our, maybe of the world. I mean, you say Picasso and anybody's ears perk up and automatically their brain thinks of art. And so does his artwork deserve to be canceled because of his character didn't match the beauty of the art? And in all reality, nobody's character will ever match the beauty of the art. But what he did should not be disemboweled for the mistakes he made he was still revolutionary and he still deserves to be respected and he still deserves to be forgiven. And so somehow we have to make a distinction on character and talent. Someone, uh, someone pointed this out to me today on the phone, actually, you know, I referenced this story of Jesus in the new Testament where this woman who's caught in this sexual act She's cheating on her husband and a lot of the religious leaders, they find her, they bring her to Jesus and they, they want justice. They, the penalty for this action is to be stoned. And so they all bring stones and they say, Jesus, you know, what is like, what's your call? You know, balls in your court. 
So after, you know, he doodles in the sand, yada, yada, he says, mm-hmm. whoever, whoever on your side over here is without sin has never, has never done anything remotely this close or has, is <clears throat> correct. You can throw the first stone at her. Of course, right. they realize that none of them can do that. So they drop the stones and walk away. The interesting thing is, is that if you believe that Jesus is that perfect human, if he is God, then he is the only one in that scenario that actually has the right to carry out that penalty. But in the end, he chooses not to. Yeah, he actually went down and he began drawing on the ground again after he made that statement. And so I think that what that tells me is that instead of going out to humiliate people to make a point, and I think maybe, maybe behind that somewhere is to say we recognize wrongdoing and we want to correct it. We want mm-hmm. people to know that, that maybe a past action that, that has been accepted or a blind eye has been turned to it, we want to now bring that to the light. That's a good thing. Totally. But when that leads to the absolute humiliation of somebody and discounting them from anything, from a conversation or maybe even ruining their career, mm-hmm. I think that's when we have to examine and say, no, if you take this example of Jesus, forgiveness actually makes not only the other individual better and not feel shame over something, but it, I think it makes society as a whole better. That means you can, you can actually start to build somebody back up into an image or into uh, a character that is, is beneficial to all parties rather than just cutting them at the, at the root. That's it, man. It's very hard to do. Because it's very hard to do in our own houses. It's very hard to do, you know, you and I know each other ex- extremely well, and it's hard for us to do. And we know the content of each other's heart. That's a very hard posture for people to get into, to allow discussion, because it forces us to look at ourselves. But I think the flaws we see in each other, to a certain extent, subconsciously, we see in ourselves. Um, and by no means am I coming here to advocate for anyone that's been canceled because some people like I look at a guy like Henry Weinstein like that gentleman did some atrocious acts to women and deserves to be taken from the throne that he's he found himself on in Hollywood but to and this is a very controversial statement at some point to release ourselves we have to forgive him and that's a very hard cross current to move through and that's one that I've, I've failed to learn. And I think it's one that we've all failed to learn. And so the easier way to do it is to cancel someone and to throw them by the wayside and to keep moving forward in the false pretenses that we believe that we are progressing. I think you're if absolutely you're, right. And I, if you're, I, wanted, I wanted to ask you, you know, how do you bring this to an individual level that we can affect? Because a lot of this, you know, what – you were telling me before we started is, you know, a lot of this happens in, in the social sphere. It happens with people that have notoriety. But if we're honest with ourselves, you know, you and I, we cancel other people out of our lives daily, whether it's absolutely. with a lot or with it's just absolutely neglecting somebody, whether it's, you know, I mean, we, we could go on and on about <laughs> how we do this on a, on a much smaller scale. Yeah. Yeah, the cancel culture is really just a depiction of where the heart of our society is. 
you can see uh, half of it having good intentions and great motives and half of it not knowing how to go about progressing towards those motives. And we see that in our homes. Um, I see that in my home with my two roommates. It's in that, and to bring it down into the immediate proximity is, is very difficult. And I think it's a downfall of social media. You don't have to face someone face to face. It's much easier to call someone out when they're not next to you. But it's much harder to tell someone of their flaws or what they failed at when they're standing in front of you. It takes a posture of extreme courage. Um, and I, th I think people do that. But then again, when you're, you know, I've watched people, you know, I watched this gentleman in Minneapolis, Jacob Hunt, Jacob, what was his name? He was the mayor of Minneapolis, but I saw him, they brought him in front of, and I, I, I don't, I want to talk about one way or the other when it comes to politics in this situation, they brought him in front of a Black Lives Matter protest, which has a good motive. I think what they, what they're promoting is good. I think some of the ways they go about it is not the, the, the most efficient. They brought him in front and they said, will you, or will you not defund the police? And he stumbled on his words because he's, I mean, he's the leader of the city. He does not want to speak one way or the other because he'll alienate someone. And I mean, I think this guy has good motives and good intentions, which I think most people do. And they said, you should, you should think about what you're going to say because you know who's going to F and vote next year. And he didn't say he was going to defund the police and they mocked him away. I mean, if we call that, progression then we need to redefine what the word means like we should call marion webster and tell them that a progress the word progressive means something different because that's actually digressing because that is stripping the conversation and so what you're doing is you're assuming another person's thoughts which you know an old verbiage which it says it makes an ass out of you and me because you're not allowing conversation tell me the reward for having the courage to have that tough conversation one-on-one, -on -one, like you just mentioned with one of your roommates, when you're having a disagreement or when you have the tendency to cancel them for something in their own regard. Sure. I mean, the reward is the release of anger to not let the sun go down on your anger. The reward is sleeping pleasantly, knowing that there's a unified house. Um, and the reward is knowing that, hey, we stand on different platforms, but we are all moving in the same direction, even though we believe one route is better than the other. And there's actually kind of this intricate intertwining of those routes. If you have those conversations enough of where your routes actually come together, because we're all we're all we're all going for the same things. I think if you sat down and you asked if we had a population size of 100 people and said, hey, you know, what do you care about the most? And then we took that and we analyzed it. I think you would see these trends that would blow you away. No matter where you ask the people, you know, safety, prosperity, health, love. And these conversations I've had with, you know, guys like you, like you and I have had these, I mean, extreme breakthroughs to where you and I feel like we're one now, even though we have these pretty differing outlooks on life in, in some regard. It, what it does is it, it boosts your trust for someone. 
And I think there's a lot of, you know, that's another aspect of this. There's a ton of distrust. We think people are out to get each other. And I, I just don't see that to be true. And I, I think we, we all have a hard time channeling our emotions. And it either comes in extreme sadness or rage. And I've been to the protest in D.C. And that's about the only two emotions I saw. And it's really hard to articulate yourself in extreme sadness or rage. And I'm not disavowing what people have gone through. What people have gone through is, yeah, it's been atrocious. The atrocities that happened in Minneapolis, I'm not, I'm not disavowing one, one bit. But at some point, we have to allow the conversation to happen when someone differs. I think that only, that'll only take place when dialogue is engaged. And totally. it's a lot easier to not engage. And it's a lot easier to let those emotions fly. And sometimes those emotions come with just canceling somebody out of your life because you don't like what they said. You don't like how they treated you. But it's so good for your spirit, for your friend's spirit, and for society as a whole when we engage in these, in these tough moments. And I think that was beautifully said. Yeah. I mean, there's a great, I read a, you know, prior to starting this, I was super excited about it because this, what's going on is, is quite interesting to me. And I read this quote where it says, you know, dialogue starts with a willingness to challenge our own thinking, to recognize that any certainty we have is at best just a hypothesis about the world. And it kind of goes back to this thought that I had, you know, you and I actually kind of had this little debate last year and so it turned both of us into kind of these studious people on the subject and i read this quote where he said you know the most common misconception in the western church is that the you know the opposite of of faith is doubt and he said well actually the opposition to faith is certainty and that's where you're seeing this this unwillingness to budge is because we're certain we know what is correct and i think that is not i don't think that's true at 25, there are very few things that I'm certain about. I'm certain about when I see something is wrong and know it is wrong. And I'm okay with acting on that. But we are speaking about people's character and it, you cannot be certain on that. Um, I mean, the scriptures are, I mean, they're scattered with it. With, you know, it, it's like, do not judge or you too will be judged. You know, for in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. Like that should be a scary verse. And I spend every day judging people as I go around and it's in my thoughts. And so I have my own cancel culture, like you said earlier, inside of my head daily. So this is not a, just a outwardly thing. This, I would say most of the battle lies inwardly, which is not the dialogue or the conversation that most people are having right now. Right. And it, it'll only <laughs> the the way that you conv- convince yourself that certainty is, is dangerous or certainty can lead to uh, judge- judgment, wrongful judgment, is by engaging with people that you wouldn't normally engage with. Um, oh. It's including people that you're different from. It's including people that you disagree with into your life and into the fold of your conversations. And Absolutely. it's so rewarding. Absolutely, man. I mean, I, I being at the, I, the, the protest in DC was extremely eye opening for me, because it gave me a new lens to see what other people are going through. Because most people live in comfortable bubbles, which equates to confirmation bias, which creates 
to a stagnant life, the same thing that cancel culture is producing. And so confirmation bias and cancel culture together does not lead to progression. And most people find themselves in one or the other. And Jacob, you're exploring some of these thoughts in a, in a different way. I want you to talk a little bit about uh, Keys to the Kingdom, your website, what your vision is behind that and kind of, kind of what you're doing with that. Yeah, well, it's, it's our website now. Um, but I, yeah, the Keys of the Kingdom is a, is a just kind of a project kind of similar to, you know, the podcast of it was an idea in my head that seemed like something that would be fun to do on the side. And I read this book by AJ Cronin called Keys of the Kingdom given to me by one of the most influential women of my life. Um, and then I, I, we led this house last year called Cornerstone and I kind of used it as my tagline. I, I said, you know, be faithful in the small things, you know, and Thessalonians says rejoice, pray and give thanks. And Matthew, it says, ask, seek and knock. And I said, well, I, well, damn, I mean, for the past 12 months, I think I've lived my life by these three statements. You know, we spent a week in New York homeless. We asked, we seeked, we knocked every day. I even have a tattoo that to kind of resemble it is rejoice, pray and give thanks. It's my mantra. And then, Faithful in the small things is something that I consciously live by. Um, and so, you know, $16 a month and seven months later, uh, we have a small website and, you know, we've, it's not huge. You know, we've had four or 5,000 visitors, which is our 5,000 views, which has been cool. We, uh, every month we do a spotlight. And so actually Mr. Tillman was spotlight number six and it's a, it's a way to get to know people. It's a way to showcase their talents. It's a way for me to tell them how I feel about them. Um, and it's a way for me to stay connected to the divine. Um, I think we should posture our lives to always have, whether it be a job, an activity, a hobby, to always somehow bring us back to the divine. And this is a, a, a small way that Squarespace has allowed me to, uh, to make that a reality. Everyone go check it out, keysoftheking.com, also on Instagram. Jacob, I admire your, the way you think. I admire the way you lead. admire the way that you live your life, and I'm glad to call you a friend, and I'll uh, definitely be having you back on the podcast sometime here soon. Buddy, this was so fun, man. I, uh, I very much look forward to it, and I commend you for uh, who you are, man. You've taught me a lot about life and about friendship, and I am always a fan of the pod. Thank you so much, man. We'll talk to you soon. All right. See you, brother. This has been the Heart of the Hill podcast with your host, Ryan Tillman. Check out our Instagram page for updates at the Heart of the Hill, and we'll see you next time.